0: Hi, I'm Natal Partansky. This is Sean Lawler. And we are doing startup essays after a brief hiatus from just having to do things that are useful.
1: Building things people want.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So this week we are going to be reading uh, Black Swan Farming. A Paul Graham article. PaulGraham.com forward slash swan.
1: Swan, S-W-A-N. Yeah. So this is from September 2012. Um, I'll be reading through today, and then we'll have uh, discussions at the end. Black Swan Farming, September 2012. I've done several types of work over the years, but I don't know another as counterintuitive as startup investing. The two most important things to understand about startup investing as a business are one, that effectively all the returns are concentrated in a few big winners, and two, that the best ideas look initially like bad ideas. The first rule I know intellectually, but didn't really grasp till it happened to us. The total value of the companies we've funded is around $10 billion, give or take a few. <clears throat> but just two companies, Dropbox and Airbnb, account for about three quarters of it. In startups, the big winners are big to a degree that violates our expectations about variation. I don't know whether these expectations are innate or learned, but whatever the cause, we are just not prepared for the 1,000x variation in outcomes that one finds in startup investing. That yields all sorts of strange consequences. For example, in purely financial terms, there is probably at most one company in each YC batch That will have a significant effect on our returns. Shout out to sorting robotics. How about your (laughs) boy. And the rest are just a cost of doing business. I haven't really assimilated that fact, partially because it's so counterintuitive and partly because we're not doing this just for financial reasons. YC would be a pretty lonely place if we only had one company per batch. And yet it's true. To succeed in a domain that violates your intuitions, you need to be able to turn them off the way a pilot does when flying through clouds. You need to do what you know intellectually to be right, even though it feels wrong. It's a constant battle for us. It's hard to make ourselves take enough risks. When you interview a startup and think they seem likely to succeed, it's hard not to fund them. And yet, financially at least, there is only one kind of success. They're either going to be one of the really big winners or not. And if not, it doesn't matter whether you fund them because even if they succeed, the effect on your returns will be insignificant. In the same day of interviews, you might meet smart some smart 19-year-olds who aren't even sure what they want to work on. Their chances of succeeding seem small. But again, it's not their chances of succeeding that matter, but their chances of succeeding really big. The probability that any group will succeed really big is microscopically small. But the probability that those 19-year-olds will might be higher than that of other safer group, of the other safer group. The probability that a startup will make it big is not simply a constant fraction of the probability that they will succeed at all. If it were, you could fund everyone who seemed like, likely to succeed at all, and you get that fraction of big hits. Unfortunately, picking winners is harder than that. You have to ignore the elephant in front of you, the likelihood they'll succeed, and focus on whether and focus instead on the separate and almost invisibly intangible question of whether they'll succeed really big. Harder. That's made harder by the fact that the best startup ideas seem at first like bad ideas. I've written about this before. If a good idea were obviously good, someone else would already have done it. So the most successful founders tend to work on ideas that few beside them realize are good, which is not that far from a description of insanity, Till, reach, till you reach the point where you see results. The first time Peter Theo spoke at YC, he drew a Venn diagram that illustrates that situation perfectly. He drew two intersecting circles, one labeled, seems like a bad idea, and the other, is a good idea. The intersection is a sweet spot for startups. This concept is a simple one, and yet seeing it as a Venn diagram is illuminating. It reminds you that there is an intersection, that there are good ideas that seem bad. It also reminds you that the vast majority of ideas that seem bad are bad. The fact that the best ideas seem like bad ideas makes it even harder to recognize the big winners. It means the probability of a startup making it really big is not merely a constant fraction of the probability that it will succeed, but that the startups with a high probability of the former will seem to have a disproportionately low probability of the latter. History tends to get written by big successes, so that in retrospect, it seems obvious they were going to make it big. For that reason, one of the most valuable memories is how lame Facebook sounded to me when I first heard about it. A site for college students to waste time? It seemed the perfect idea. A site, one, for a niche market, two, with no money, three, to do something that didn't matter. One could have described Microsoft and Apple in exactly the same terms. Harder still. Wait, it gets worse. You not only have to solve this hard problem, but you have to do it with no indication of whether you're succeeding. When you pick a big winner, you don't know it for two years. Meanwhile, the one thing you can measure is dangerously misleading. The one thing we can track precisely is how well the startups in each batch do at fundraising after demo day. But we know that's the wrong metric. There's no correlation between the percentage of startups that raise money and the metric that does matter financially, whether that batch of startups contains a big winner or not. Except an inverse one. That's the scary thing. Fundraising is not merely a useless metric, but positively misleading. We're in a business where we need to pick unpromising looking outliers and the 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 huge scale of the successes means we can afford to spread our net very widely. The big winners could generate 10,000 times returns. That means for each big winner, we could pick 1,000 companies that return nothing and still end up 10x ahead. If we ever got to the point where 100% of the startups we funded were able to raise money after demo day, it would almost certainly mean we were being too conservative. It takes a conscious effort not to do that. After 15 cycles of preparing startups for investors and then watching how they do, I can now look at a group we're interviewing through Demo Day investors' eyes. But those are the wrong eyes to look through. We can afford to take at least 10x as much risk on Demo Day as Demo Day investors. And since risk is usually proportionate to reward, if you can afford to take more risk, you should. What would it mean to take 10x more risk than Demo Day investors? We'd have to be willing to fund 10x more start- startups than they would which means that even if we're generous to ourselves and assume that YC can, on average, triple a startup's expected value, we'd be taking the right amount of risk if only 30% of the startups were able to raise significant funding after demo day. I don't know what fraction of them currently raise more after demo day. I deliberately avoid calculating that number because if you start measuring something, you start optimizing it. And I know it's the wrong thing to optimize. But the percentage is certainly way over 30%. And frankly, the thought of a 30% success rate at fundraising makes my stomach clench. A demo day where only 30% of the startups startups are fundable would be a shambles. Everyone would agree that YC had jumped the shark. We ourselves would feel that YC had jumped the shark, and yet we'd all be wrong. For better or worse, that's never going to be more than a thought experiment. We could never stand it. How about that for counterintuitive? I can lay out what I know to be the right thing to do and still not do it. I'm, I can make up all sorts of plausible justifications. It would hurt YC's brand, at least among the enumerate, if we invested in huge numbers of risky startups that flamed out. It might dilute the value of the alumni network. Perhaps most convincingly, it would, de- it would be demoralizing for us to be up to our chins in failure all the time. But I know the real reason we're so conservative is that we just haven't assimilated the fact of 1,000x variation in returns. We'll probably never be able to bring ourselves to take risk proportionate to the returns in this business. The best we can hope for is that when we interview a group and find ourselves thinking, they seem like good founders, but what are investors going to think of this crazy idea? We'll continue to be able to say, who cares what the investors think? That's what we thought about Airbnb. Airbnb. And if we want to fund more Airbnbs, we have to stay good at thinking it. In the notes section, there are five notes um, from the uh, essay. I'm not going to go through them, but you can find them on paulgram.com forward slash swan. And I will say um, at the very end, it says thanks to Sam Altman, Paul Buchheit, Patrick Collison, Jessica Livingston, Jeff Ralston, and Harge. Tagger for reading drafts of this. Apologize for any misspellings or pronunciations.
0: Oh, I just noticed that actually one of the notes, the very last one, he says, I calculated it for the last batch before a consortium of investors started offering investment automatically to every startup we funded. That probably has to do with that Russian guy who funded a few companies.
1: Came in and said, I'm investing in all of you. Yeah, like all of you are goes. getting 100K or something. Yeah.
0: yeah um, but then he says, so I guess that was probably why he did it before that because that was Michael Siebel's group, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, he said at the time it was 94%. So thirty. that's when they only had 30 companies in the batch, but he said 33 of the 35 companies that tried to raise money succeeded one didn't try because they're already profitable, so okay, and so then thirty
1: four out of thirty five yeah, basically one out of thirty five wasn't successful,
0: and yeah <laughs> so like uh that's probably held true even now, if not more, it's probably like a hundred percent because everyone who we've talked to just like fucking kills it uh at demo day. Like, especially Trexo. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Trexo. Oh, dude, I wonder how much Mamie, Like, how much he raised.
1: I mean, he probably raised what he wanted to raise. Dude. God. Trexo Robotics makes a really cool exoskeleton that's currently focused on helping children with cerebral palsy um, either learn how to walk or assists in their recovery towards walking. Uh, really cool out of the YCW19 batch.
0: Yeah, shout out the Trexel, they're dope.
1: Um, so for us, sorting robotics, right? That's the company that Natal, um, Casio, and I founded. Um, we deferred demo day. Yeah. Because we were profitable, in that um, if you see at the very end of the essay, or remember what we said, uh, note five said in the old days it was raise after demo day or die. For us, we had done enough in revenue that we weren't going to die. So rather than um use our one demo day chip, we held on to it as we were searching for something bigger,
0: yeah, so now we're in that bigger market, and then when we go to demo day um in August, like we should raise a crap ton of money, but ideally,
1: but I think yeah. what I was getting at was for for us, our batch was two hundred and four companies,
0: yeah, I should tell a company
1: um y c s winter nineteen batch um almost seven times as big as the batch in 2010 that Paul Graham cites in his reference five.
0: Um, Oh, wait. Yeah, you're right. Almost seven times as, but, but their, um, their assets under management when we started were 80 billion. So I think that's how they're measuring the amount of companies that they take in because of their assets under management or like the, they don't actually have that many assets, 80 billion, but like the companies they've invested in are worth that much. So probably what they're doing when they cuz they obviously don't have that much cash like just they don't they're like constantly divesting like they keep staying in right which yeah. is even in the documents Yeah, they have that pro right? Yeah, so they're probably like taking out loans on their assets as they increase in value and then they're using those loans to do the investment on these companies and they're probably out they're like refinancing those loans as the assets under management increase. Because if it's 7x the amount of companies, right now they're – I think now it's $100 billion, right? Because, like, uh, Dropbox, Cruise, like, well, Cruise, was a,
1: Cruise was acquired. Oh, yeah, during Twitch, that time. Yeah. like, you know, in the nine years since he – or seven years since he wrote that and nine since that batch.
0: Yeah. So I doubt they – I'm sure they don't do all of it with their cash. They probably take out, like, a margin loan or something like that. But, yeah, I, it's just like, it just, like, occurred to me right now that, like, yeah. made the connection. Because we were wondering, like, why the fuck is the batch so well, big? Well, and I'm –
1: I was kind of, as I was reading it, it's challenging to to read something um, and then think about it, but if logically it's best to take on more risk, but emotionally it feels bad to have companies burn out, Mm -hmm. YC seems to be trending towards keeping their network valuable, right? So we were wondering when we were in the batch why there were so many companies. I mean, we were glad to be there, so if it was (laughs) 204 companies and we were the 204th like thank you You're probably um, the 204th 205th and someone dropped out so we fell in <laughs> Dude,
0: like probably <laughs> 214th you know like <laughs> a solid
1: 10 um but i was just kind of thinking as i was reading it yc can't why can't get away from having like dozens of really successful companies but maybe they're trying to blow up their risk by just bringing on more companies i don't I def- even
0: think so like i, I think when well my like analysis kind of made sense like they're probably taking on the same amount of proportional risk as they were then because they were only doing 30 companies there but they only had uh 10 billion the companies that are invested in were only worth 10 billion now the companies that they're invested mm-hmm. in are worth 80 billion so they're doing seven times that or eight times i see yeah yeah, I think they're probably just. Oh, re- I, oh yeah, I see that's now. why I like got okay, so like, I see now. excited. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, that's interesting.
0: Yeah, that's.
1: I mean, there's certainly like very well refined logic behind the batch size. It's definitely... Well, I mean,
0: I <laughs> mean, <Maybe> probably <laughs> like, like
1: A/B testing. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
0: I wonder how big this batch is. Yeah, making. we're
1: so with with sorting robotics. We deferred demo days, so we'll get to rejoin. Um, if they'll allow us, uh, we want to, (laughs) oh my God, stupid magic robot and go away.
0: I mean, that whole article was basically the story of our YC experience in like a negative sense. But
1: what I was going to say is we'll be back for S19, um, for the super senior year to (laughs) pitch on demo day. So we'll get to hang out with S19 for a couple of weeks. Yeah, And it'll be interesting to see how big that batch is relative to ours because I think even just last year, the batch size was like half the size or like 75% uh, yeah, of that. the size. I don't yeah, know yeah, what yeah. The it was like 140. Are. Like two years ago, it was less than half the size. So they've been growing considerably.
0: Yeah. In terms of the article, like I think it makes sense. Like I've also been reading a few things about like the venture capital as we've been raising um, money and stuff and kind of like what it's looking like from the other side of the table. And we were kind of saying like, Oh, but like we already have this profitable business. Like, you know, it's like, we're not going to like die. Like we're going to like go on and continue. And I think maybe like even trying to pitch ourselves or even trying to justify our existence like that, was bad because it's supposed to be counterintuitive or it is counterintuitive. So like we should just like never pitch ourselves like that because like that might be okay in like a company existing people owning it. That's okay
1: in an idea of us not going back to a nine to five job. Yeah. As engineers for a large company right now.
0: Yeah. But like I don't think it's okay with investors because they already know like they're probably, you know, they're like, well, I have a thousand companies that I invested in. One of them gave me a one thousand x return. The other ninety nine could have given me zero, and I would still be fine.
1: Yeah, like you still continue on to the next year. The yeah, next
0: like, and now. so they're like, they're kind of doing what you said. Like, it doesn't matter if they'll make it. it. Matters if they'll make it big. So, like, we have to pitch it such that we're making it big not just making it
1: and that's why we with our robotic card sorter for trading card games deferred demo day because we could make it we could make a profitable company we are currently profitable with what we have but when you have the opportunity to be bigger take it well it's not
0: just that like i mean you got to pitch it as like bigger because i remember even when we talked with the first guy who kind of like dipped out on us we're like yeah but we were like kind of concerned like why is he dipping out like you can't expect that we'll like be like we're gonna die because we were like yeah we're not gonna die we're gonna be fine but i think it's just the idea like yeah you might not die but like you might not like our market was too small so well even well because we were even like i'm talking about in march when like that guy dipped out yeah yeah so i was like so i think it was like Maybe he just didn't think that we could make it. Yeah, I mean, big.
1: what we have now from progress since March is made it has made it easier, right, to yeah. sell that story of we're going to be big. This is what we accomplished, and this is what we've accomplished on top of that. But back then, we didn't have the big thing. We had the idea of the big thing, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know. Do you think it, would, it was like a bit arrogant to think that like. Oh, like we can make it big, but you know what? Maybe it's not even arrogant to think. Maybe the investor's like, "Yeah, I'm sure you guys have the ability to make it big." But then his faith was like lackluster. In but can you make it big? Like or but will not really can he? Yeah, you can. What, but there's will
1: external you? factors. Yeah, like that
0: motivation and even and like life goals. Yeah. Right. Like maybe you don't want to like go hard for three years. You want to go hard for like one year or you don't want to go hard for like five years there's only like but like maybe and like it requires that to like be big so you're gonna make a bet on someone that you want the 1000 X return but like they this guy probably can but like will he and like maybe that's where that guy kind of like fell off the boat like he didn't think we would
1: yeah, he was... Ex- so shout out to
0: that guy. You know who you are? <laughs> shout, out, <laughs> shout out to you listening to our podcast from wherever you are in the world. Yeah. But we will, just just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> we will uh, make it. <laughs> for the podcast record, we have the ability to make it big and can, will, be real big. <laughs> real, real big. R- real, real big. Yeah, maybe that's why. I wonder how you cultivate a... So, okay, this could be good for like anyone who has never, I actually, I didn't read this article. I didn't have any idea what it was about. I just saw that it was 15 minutes of a, a yeah, read we've, aloud time. We've so
1: far picked our articles from paulgram.com that are about 15 minutes to read, which gives us a you know good 15 minute discussion, which tails off into random things. And then we end the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we should make sure we
0: end it like normally this time. I got, I'm watching the clock. I got yeah. the clock
1: this time. You started right when we started speaking. So yeah, it was strong. Yeah.
0: Um yeah, so okay, so I think this would be useful for people who like are just kind of coming along this uh, power law of investing, which is basically what he's kind of explaining, but he's talking about it like black swan investing, which is like counterintuitive investing. Um but I think the idea is like how can you formulate yourself such that you are perceived as not having a chance of success? That's like overwhelming, but like if you are successful, it's insane. But like you can't, it can't be unrealistic, right? It's kind of like also what I mean, we heard them say at YC all the time like, uh, they gotta know that when you make it big, you'll be a billion dollar company. You're not gonna be like a 10 or 100 million dollar company because that's like nonsense. They don't have anything to do with that. Um, <laughs> So, which
1: was hard to swallow for us. Yeah, the projection for our original market was something like thirty million annually, globally, globally. <laughs> yeah, you know, like getting all the corners. Um, and that's huge when you're coming from, you know, your little nine to five job at at NASA. Yeah, and you have a company that can support you, but not big enough for venture backed companies. And they told us that from the beginning.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, but like, how do you? So what are the, okay, you have to convey a feeling to an investor, right? So that feeling has to have a few attributes. Attribute one is that you have the ability to build something of value. That, like, is, like, one of the goes without saying thing, right? Okay, so that goes without saying. And then number two is that you have the will to go big, like, really, really big. So then if you break down that, like, what are the attributes of someone who has the will or drive more like the drive to go really big? Like how would you, if you saw someone in the street and you talked to them for like a minute, how at the end, like what would you describe the person at the end of that minute? Like, fuck that guy's going to, that guy's going to go big or he's going to go home.
1: Well, I think would, would it be something like, fuck, he can do anything. Like if that guy wants to do something, that girl wants to do something they can.
0: Okay, so, hmm. but is that being is that like assessment being clouded by your technical knowledge? Because, like, in your head, you are thinking. I feel like you are correlating ability with like drive. Mm-hmm. But how about if you are like a layperson, if you don't even know anything about anything technical or even anything business? Like, let's assume a lot of these investors like have no idea what's going on in your market or your tech or your anything. Like,
1: how? So what's the investor heuristic when they have no idea about the market that you're trying to build into? Yeah, they they, just they just see the opportunity.
0: Yeah, and they're talking to you. So like what is the combination of words that you can use to convey that you will go big given your drive? I mean just like passion, like being super excited about it. Well, okay. So
1: let me ask you then, you've had conversations recently as we're going through some fundraising efforts and earlier conversations may have been more challenging, especially if we consider the one back in March where the guy dipped out on us. Yeah. Three months later, we're starting to close a lot faster. Your story is down. How would you describe what you convey to the investor who just put in a check like two days after talking to us? Within a day of talking to us.
0: I mean, I don't know. Because, like, I, we talked about this before, but, like, I don't think I've actually changed the information in my story. I've just changed the way the story is structured. Like, it's all the same. Like, we're the same people from three months ago. We just have a little bit more progress. Well, but, like, the same people from
1: three <clears throat> months ago, but we've continued to operate at a high level for three months for a longer time. We've shown progress right, to yeah. keep people. But I do you think there's, there's a level of confidence in the pitch when you delivered it because you know what questions are going to be asked and you have good answers for those questions that make sense and you just rapid fire, shoot them out, there's no hesitation. Like, think back to the YC interview. They don't want you hesitating at all. There's not enough time to even go, um. You just have to rapid fire answer. And when you do that, when you're put in that environment, it goes to the core of what you know about your business
0: and your market. Yeah, but I don't know because like some like I feel like the so the reason I say like the information doesn't remain the same just how I formulated it because it's hard for me to gauge that cuz I pitched some people in the very beginning, and I pitched some people in the middle, and then I pitched some people recently. And like the people in the middle were not the ones that invested. They're like they dipped out at the end of
1: Yeah, so They invest more often the longer you go with this fundraising effort.
0: No, but I mean, like, the people in the beginning invested, and the people in the middle didn't, and one of the guys at the end did, Hmm. right? So it's like... Like, the story in the middle was very similar until the very end. So I would say even, like, the guys at the late middle had the same story and formulation and delivery as... Those before, but, I, like, they just didn't respond the same way. We even talked
1: about this last night at, like, 3 in the morning. What? Um, we talked about how, as you have conversations, you can take take the experience of that conversation and roll it into the next one. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it still seems to me, like, fine, you, like, figured it out in the beginning. there's kind of like, you're not sure exactly what you're saying but you're confident in the market you're confident you had enough of those conversations yeah, yeah like maybe you get someone who's uh you know forward thinker right they're they're on the cutting edge of of investing and they just want to jump in there that's why the first one went right and the later ones now yeah. they like take some more schmoozing but like now you're just but like then the
0: late late one like didn't he just was like damn so <sighs> maybe it isn't so maybe okay I mean obviously our sample size is like 10 right yeah. so it's not great Um, but like maybe there isn't a combination of words that you can say that will convey that you will make it big it's maybe it's like kind of YC's 10 minute interview where like they're just trying to get you like your business idea is kind of like you need to at least know what it's like but you they really are just looking for you. And so it's really gonna be like a <clears throat> like a pair. Like, do you click with the investor like emotionally almost? Cause like you kind of have to like, you know, have the ability to do that, which means you understand what the business is doing. Yeah. But like I feel like the way I've conveyed that from the beginning till now hasn't changed it's just kind of been like how I've talked about and how I've rolled out our experiences and stuff. But I think that makes it easier for the information for them to digest. But I don't think it's like a majority role in their decision-making. I think it's probably just like emotional binding. Like who's going to click with you and who's not. So like you might be able to say the same pitch, 50 times and like it like that combination of pitch like it gets to a point like there's never like maybe there's not a perfect combination of words it's your combination of words and you're just going to say those a bunch of times and like do you click emotionally with this person or with these people or do you not because with the 10 that I've talked to you so far it's been like hot and cold right like some people have been like yeah some people like blow me off i'm like well, well what's the difference you're all in the same space you're all investing in like the yeah. same companies so like why why blow me off here and then this guy is super stoked
1: so you think like yc and other <laughs> investors vcs or angels are trying to get an idea of who you are as a person and if they would like mind dealing with you in the future mind interacting with you going forward.
0: Yeah, like maybe it's an emotional thing because that was even what Eric and we've read another PGSA where it was like, yeah, you know, they, when they um, bring people into YC, they're also thinking, do I want this person in the online network? Yeah. like Yeah,
1: the the, the network of thousands yeah, th- of yeah, former Yeah, 3,000 founders. founders. Like,
0: yeah. do I want to deal with this fucking person? Like, probably not well, then you can just go fuck off, right? No matter if their business was chill or not, right? Like, didn't they say that was like, if you're an asshole is what they look for. Like, you could have the best company in the world, but like, if you're a dick or like annoying, like maybe just this, maybe the investors that didn't invest, like just don't like me. Like, (laughs) Well, I mean, that's like not an indictment (laughs) on you.
1: That's just, you don't jive. Like, you can't be friends with everybody in the world.
0: Yeah, and that probably applies to investors as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think I think they're looking for somebody they can interact with. Going forward, I think they're looking for somebody who's mature and stable. You're not like running around like my company's going to die if I don't get this investment and being all crazy. Yeah. Like level-headed. I think that matters a lot, too.
0: Yeah, so like maybe there is not a perfect combination of words to convey that you will be successful and very successful. It's that there's a combination of words that show you will get to a point and that point should be good. And then like your emotional click will kind of like trigger them to think that you will be very, very good because every, every, I think every one of the YC batch companies are like, yeah, we're going to be a billion dollar company. But like PG said, and even Michael Siebel said when we were there, he's like two, maybe three out of the batch.
1: When we've, we had, as part of YC companies come in and, you know, the founders will give talks about things and share their stories. So you hear these stories about companies that are well-known and kind of behind the scenes of what investing was looking like for them. And they say they spent weeks and months, like pitch after pitch after pitch, like multiple pitches in a day. And so you do got to think after a few, like a few days of pitching or a few weeks in the early stages their pitch probably doesn't change very much. Yeah. It's probably pretty similar. So it might be the differentiating factor in how you connect. And there was that one story where they went into a well-known investor's office and they didn't even talk about the company. They bonded over some characteristic of where this founding team was from. And, you know, a movie that made the investor think about it. If you remember what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. So like, that's a huge name for now, well-known company, extremely successful company. And, the talk wasn't really about the company; it was just about them connecting. Like, oh yeah, so by it's the like way, a I'm, self-deluding. By, by the way, I'm here for my company. We need, you know, we're raising money. Yeah. Oh shit! Yeah, the last twenty minutes out of our twenty-five minute conversation, we were talking about, you know, some movie.
0: Yeah. Or maybe it's like it's like a self-deluding thing. Like the, every investor has to delude themselves to thinking that. You're going to be big because the chance of anyone being bi- like big, big, like Facebook big is like super low. It's lower than anything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like lower than getting struck by lightning. So, hmm. yeah, maybe it's like the fact that, oh, they could be also another thing where if they click with you. Maybe they think and they know the power of networking effects and, like, just knowing the right people once you have a foundation of a business to, like, get you into other auxiliary markets or grow your company. And they think, well, if he clicks with me, I know he's going to need to click with a lot of other people or she. Uh, and so maybe that will be what gets them that super big. And so that's, like, an attachment that they make. But, Yeah. More thoughts on how to make people think that you're gonna be a billion dollar company. Yeah. When you're the only one that thinks it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um that was um Black Swan yeah. from
1: September twenty twelve by Paul Graham.
0: Yeah, cool. Uh this is Startup Essays. I'm Natal. And I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. See you.